Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to just ask, maybe I can switch out this mic. I don't know what's going on with it. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. So this is Jesus speaking. Uh, this is a message called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm, I've kind of been parking here for the last year and a half in my own life just because I'm not sure at this point in my own spiritual formation that I've allowed the truths to not only just speak to my mind, but transform my spirit. Thanks, Jared. Um, to transform my spirit in the ways that, that it should. I mean, the, when you read through uh, Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's pretty confronting to the way that we live our lives as humans um, and as Christians. And so I've been kind of parking here and... and, and um, kind of dwelling on some of the passages, and this morning we're going to read a passage that I'm quite familiar with, but I was struck in just a different way as I was reading it uh, only a few weeks ago, and this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we get to gather here this morning, and we just thank you for the opportunity to worship in your presence. And uh, we just thank you for the many um, moving pieces that have come together this morning to make today happen. And God, as um, we were f- reflecting last night as the lead team, God, we just recognize that what's happening in this room right now is, is not normal. Not, not because most theaters are empty on a Sunday morning, but because your presence is here in this room. God, there is no greater honor than to gather in your presence and, and to be in your transforming uh, to see ourselves in your transforming power. So may you transform us this morning, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, how should I start this? We, um, we've been in a, in a great series over the last little while, and, and Jared was talking about it. We've been talking through um, this series called Out of Pocket, and the whole idea is, uh, the whole idea of it, if you weren't there or if you were to recap, again, was this idea of making sure that when people ask us questions of our faith, we actually have an answer for um, the questions that people ask. That uh, it's not just uh, something that, that uh, when somebody asks a question, we're kind of like, ah, I never thought about that before. And so one of the main things we were trying to do during this series is we were actually trying to make sure that uh, we tackled some really tough questions. Did that help anybody here in our church? So was, it, was that series helpful at all? Okay. It was like, it was one of those series where people weren't getting as like on their seats, like rowdy and everything else. So as a pastor, you can sometimes be like, is this hitting? But every time I'd have a conversation in the lobby or with somebody over coffee, uh, it seemed to be a really helpful conversation for us. Um, But I've been really thinking about this thought and um, it kind of comes out of the previous season that we we went through as a church. And so went through this 
Um, this pandemic, all of us went through this pandemic. And in the middle of that, it was an opportunity not only for individuals, but also churches and organizations and pastors like myself to think about, hey, what is it that we want to be known for? Uh, what is it that we've been doing well and what is it that we've been doing poorly and what is it that we want to continue to do well and what is it that we want to change moving into the future? And I just remember like being imprinted upon my heart and of course I said this in that one documentary that we put it together, that testimony video of my life and kind of the journey even just of our church and, and this new season we were coming into is I was increasingly becoming bothered by this, this thought that I would get up from the stage and I would tell our church that we are about hype uh, sorry, we were about hope, not hype, but in <laughs> Freudian slip was appropriate there, but increasingly feeling like in my soul, like somehow maybe we were just more about hype than we were about the hope of Jesus, more about stirring people up in these emotive ways and less about encouraging people in these kind of spiritual ways and these ways that we should really be um, drawing people deeper and encouraging them and building them up. And in this, I became pretty clear. I'm like, hey, you know what? Over the course of people being um, in our church, like, I, I want to make sure that we actually make disciples. And so we revamped our whole mission statement, and, uh, and basically what we did is we took our mission statement, which everybody could have repeated because um, Chike's mom, uh, as well as Chike, would say it before every service in this, like, pre-roll video. Uh, say church exists to be, I don't even know what it is anymore. I'm not going to say it, because I, but you can hear it. You can, you can feel it. And if you're, you, you never heard it, that's fine. That's kind of part of the reason that we, we put it Back in the, in the past, we parked it in, the, in our history. And we moved it to something quite simple. We, we moved it quite simply to the Great Commission, to go and make disciples here in Ontario. Now, here are, the, here are the fears, or here's the main fear that I had when we moved to this new mission statement. And it's like, how do you, how do you like, develop a fear based on a mission statement that you didn't write, that you just like, literally plagiarized from Jesus? Um, well... It's like, wow, that's a great mission statement. Yeah, we literally stole it directly from God. Um, but my fear was that in saying that we wanted to make disciples of all of Ontario, that all of us would have our eyes pointed outside of these uh, four walls, thinking that we had to go reach people that were out there, forgetting that we ourselves needed to be discipled. Like, that was my biggest fear in just being like, hey, let's go make disciples, is that we would think everybody out there needs help and we're okay in here. Now, interestingly, something happened at Slate Church that I, I didn't expect. And the thing that happened that I didn't expect is that I think that we actually turned the lens appropriately internally and started going, oh, my gosh, I don't know if, if I'm being discipled at the level that I need to be discipled. But in that course and over the last number of months and and over the course of like making sure that all of our messages are biblically sound and, and like going through tough topics and talking about things like human sexuality. And man, when Roe versus Wade got overturned and having to go and wade into those waters and doing the hard work of discipleship, in, in many ways, one of the things that I've noticed is that we've actually started pointing the lens too much internally. And my original fears are reversed. Like, like we got to remember that there is a world outside of these four walls. Like, we've got to remember that our discipleship is not the only discipleship that matters. And it brings me back to just starting to think about when I first met Jesus for real, for me, in my life. And it got me thinking about, you know, the, the time when there was this, um, this girl that I didn't know at the time that she was interested in me. Um, and uh, that, that's like most young guys. That's like, that's just guys in general. Like, 
guys get themselves into so much trouble because they don't realize that they're just, like, leading girls on and, like, I mean, you talk to a young guy, he's like, yeah, we're just friends, we're just, like, hanging out every week, like, they, she knows, and I'm like, no, she, no, she doesn't, like, it's just give up, give it, give it up, like, like, uh, she, there's no such thing as platonic relationships between men and women, anyway, that's a hot take, I understand, but, um, there's always, like, there's always that struggle in the back of somebody's mind, like, what if, and it's like, it's just, just, nah, okay, anyway, so, uh, there was this girl, and she had invited me to church, and I was like 15 years old, and I was like, yeah, I'll go to church. Like, um, I didn't know what else to do. I, I grew up in Coburg. There was nothing else to do. It was like, if somebody invited you to do something, you did it. They're like, want to come to a pig roast? You're like, sure. You know, like, I don't know what else I'm going to do tonight. You want to come to church? Sure. And at 15 years old, I remember walking into this church, and I'd never been there before, and I walked into the basement, and it smelled like an old church building. And I walked down, and there was these, like, different colored lights, which I had never experienced before. There was, like, hues of purple and red on the walls, and it was dimly lit. And I felt like I had walked into, like, some, like, club scene that, like, underground club scene that nobody had told me about in Coburg. And so I walked into this room, and there's, like, nobody there. And I'm, like, what is going on here? And I'll never, never forget being at this youth group that I was invited to called Crave, Crave Youth Group in Coburg, Ontario, and sitting in those seats and, um hearing a message that would just rock my world. And I remember just sitting, facing this wall. Um, like, it, it, was, it was like youth group on a budget, which is every youth group. Um, and we're just, like, staring at this wall. And uh, this pastor gets up there, and he preaches this message. And I just remember I couldn't move from the seat. There was, like, this tuck shop that all these teens knew to bring money. I didn't bring any money. I didn't know that there was a tuck shop. Um, would have been important for this girl that liked me. If she really liked me, she would have told me about the tuck shop, and maybe things would have worked out differently. I don't know. History would have been different. I don't know. But as they all went off to the tuck shop, I just remember sitting in these these cold plastic chairs and just crying and just just being, like, like completely undone in the presence of God. Like, like God, I, I, don't, I don't know if, I don't know if I, I really have known you before tonight. And... And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to know you more. <clears throat> Beginnings are an interesting thing, and, and it's got me thinking about my, my own salvation. And, and this verse really caught me off guard uh, when Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. I, I share my my. Uh, experience of coming to Christ, or at least that moment, um, less to tell you about how I became a Christian, and, and hopefully for many of us in this room to start picturing when, when we became Christians, when we decided we wanted to follow Jesus, when our souls lit on fire for the first time. And the reason I, I want that to happen because, is because this question has been rattling around in my brain and in my, in my soul and in my, my body, and I, I just can't shake it. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to preach a different message this morning. Um, I wanted to preach on the mustard seed and how the kingdom of, of heaven grows. I wanted to speak on uh, the, the yeast and the bread and how it works itself through. And that's where I wanted to go with things. And yet this question just keeps rattling around in my brain. And the question is this. It's based off of this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And this is a question I've been asking God. And I, I wonder if I could invite all of us into this question this morning. Um, and this is a question I've been, been asking God. Is, God, 
can, can salt actually become salty again? Like, God, is it, is it possible for salt to be made salty again? And I think, I think what's been happening in my soul is I've been desperately praying that it can be. Because I feel like in my soul, at least, is that I become so self-absorbed with making sure that I'm good with God that I forget that there's a world out there that's not good with God. And I've just completely kind of fallen asleep on my friends and my family and my neighbors and, and all in, 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 a, in an attempt to know more about God and, and be more right with God. But, but there's been something, in hap- something happening in my soul where I'm going, God, like, like I'm, I'm afraid that I'm losing my saltiness and I, I pray that you can make salt salty again. Like that's, that's been the prayer on my, on my heart. Because I want, I want to go back to those moments when I first met Jesus and became alive in my faith. I want to go back to those moments and be fully alive in Christ again. You know, there's, there is, there's beginnings in every relationship. I was, this past week, I'm getting ready for mine and Emma's 10th uh, wedding anniversary, which is happening this week, which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, a few of us understand the importance of marriage. That's amazing. But, um, <laughs> I know, yeah, there we go. Thank you, thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was a pity clap. Um, and when I celebrate 10 years of marriage this Thursday, I believe. Is it this Thursday? Friday. I'm a day early. That's better than being a day late. And um, so I've been preparing, and she doesn't know what I'm preparing, and, and I'm just, like, making sure that, that we have a great time on our, on our 10-year anniversary. We're actually on a pastor's retreat, uh, and it's out in BC off this island, and that's our last, like, kind of trip for the year, uh, for the summer. And so... Th- Thankfully, like I don't have to like book air travel or that sort of thing. We're we're already gone, so that's that's great. Um, and anyway, I, I can't. I came across these these uh, emails between Emma and I uh, went in 2008. So this is 14 years ago. Emma and I've been together for 14 years. We've been together since uh, since high school. Um, forever. Like uh, I think next year, Emma will be have been with me longer than. Uh, she's not been with me in, in her life, which is a, kind of a crazy thought. But in 2008, I went on a mission trip to Thailand. Um, shout out Thailand, shout out Jared. Jared was living there. I still have these dreams that I like walked past Jared in Chiang Mai, and we didn't know it, but we like felt this connection, and that's what led us here. But um, I was on a mission trip, and Jared was just living there his normal life, which is kind of like says something about mission trips. But um, anyway, I'm there, and it feels like you know the world is falling apart because I've left my high school sweetheart behind. Um, and that's kind of an exaggeration because Emma and I lived two hours apart. Like, the, we didn't actually really see each other a whole lot. But for some reason, being 12 hours apart, um, uh, t- the time difference is 12 hours, uh, it just felt like an eternity. And I, I just thought, um, just out of, out of uh, celebrating our 10-year anniversary, I'd just read to you some of our correspondence. Uh, and it's embarrassing. So if you've ever, ever wondered, uh, yeah, okay, here we go. This is my first email to Emma from uh, Big Country of Thailand. Emma, five exclamation marks. We made it here. Keep in mind, we've been dating for like a month and a half. We're, uh, we're two hours away from one another. We've probably seen each other a collective four times at this point. Emma, five exclamation marks. We made it here safe. The flights were pretty good, but really long. LOL. Because <laughs> that's fun. That's funny stuff, right? Like the, the flights were pretty long, period. 
I miss you so much. Not sure when I can get on the internet again. We all have to share this one computer with a time limit. How was that, by the way, like living in Thailand with just time limits on computer? <laughs> I'm in, uh, not sure when I get on the computer. There's time I'm enjoying your letters. She had written me letters for every day I was gone, even though I've only opened two because we're ahead. Hopefully, I can talk to you again soon. All caps. I love you so much. XOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXOXO
that, that our, my, my marriage is going to be in, in, in struggle. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have some difficulties. If I don't change the way that I'm perceiving her, the way that I'm talking to her, the way that I'm, 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 I'm interacting with her, the way that I'm, I'm saying things to her, the way that I'm thinking about her, if I don't change this right now and I allow this to fester for the next number of years, we're going to be in significant trouble. And so when I read letters like this and I read emails like this and I, I pull out old correspondence and I pull out those letters that I still have saved from where she wrote, wrote to me when I was in Thailand and all of this stuff, what it reminds me of is that this is a woman that I love dearly and I want to love dearly until the day that I die. That's what it reminds me of. And it reminds me that there's a way to have passion with maturity. And as I reflect on this question, like, God, can you make me salty again? One of my fears is that as Christians, sometimes we trade maturity in for our passion with God. It's like, hey, God, I'll settle for maturity in your presence rather than passion with you as a person. And I think that we, we settle for this and we, we get so high and mighty on the, the information that we get and we, we get so high and mighty on, on the things that we've learned and, and we get into conversations and we're, we're thankful that we weren't like we were when we were teens and, and just kind of off the rails and yet all the while God is going, listen, I just want to have that type of relationship with you and you can still be mature in the process. Like, listen, if you're past the age of wanting to jump up and down and worship, Fine. But find a way to get passionate about meeting with God early in the morning, walking with him daily in the cool of the day, seeking his presence as you go to work, seeking what he might have for you and your life and your family and the people around you because he wants to be in relationship with you and I. And so I've been, I've been kind of like, I, I've, been, I've been wondering and, 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 and searching what it looks like to, to be salty again. Like what, what does it look like to be salty again, God. I, I, I want, I want to, to know if there's a way to be salty. If salt loses its saltiness, can it be made salty again? <clears throat> salt is good for two things, of course. And I don't need to give you a salt lesson. <laughs> I'm a pastor, not a, not a chemist. <laughs> but salt is like a compound. It's, uh, right, Andrew, you get it. Uh, it's good for two things. It's good for ba basically two things. It's good for preserving and it's good for seasoning. Preserving things that are decaying and seasoning things that are bland on their own. And when God's getting at this, he's going like, hey, like, like you're meant to preserve this world that's decaying and you're meant to give it flavor because it's really bland without you. And as I reflect on that, I go, uh, I mean, I've been trying to preserve myself and find seasoning in my own life. But, but I wonder if, if I, I have that same passion for those around me. <clears throat> There's this really disturbing story that I read this past week. Like, really disturbing. There was a guy named uh, Jean-Dominique Bobby, And I'm, I'm butchering his name, but the author didn't put the pronunciation in the book. So, Jean-Dominique Bobby, And uh, he was this guy, he was, a, he was the French editor of Elle magazine. And, uh, I mean, probably living a good life. Um, the French editor of Elle magazine is a big deal. And at 43 years old, this, um, this editor has a massive stroke that left him in a coma for over 20 days. And uh, in this coma, the doctors began to discover some things and began to start to realize that he was no, able, no, no longer able to use any of his uh, any of, any of his, his limbs, um, he wasn't able to use his, his head. He was completely paralyzed. 
except for one thing. He was paralyzed um, in every part of his body except for his one eye. And in his one eye, they discovered over time that he could blink in order to communicate. And so this author, John Tyson, in his book, A Beautiful Resistance, is recounting this story, and he's recounting this movie that was made based on Jean-Dominique Bobby's life. And, uh, and he said there's this disturbing scene, which just completely removed me from wanting to watch this movie at all, um, where the doctor is sewing shut one of his eyes. And there's this horror because the way that a movie can be filmed, there's a perfect dialogue being recorded over the screen from Jean-Dominique Jean that is recounting the way that he's feeling during this moment in perfect English because he is completely awake inside. He's completely cognitive. He's completely able to, to move. He's completely able to, 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 to think and to comprehend. He can see what's happening, but nothing he can do can communicate like, don't sew my other eye shut because it's the only thing I can move. And so he's sitting there, and they're, showing, they're sewing the shut, and eventually the doctors begin to realize, wait, he's blinking on purpose. And so what would happen over the, the next little while in his life is Jean-Dominique would blink to an assistant, and the assistant would read out the alphabet, and she would say A, B, C, D, E, F, D, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. And when she got to the letter that represented the, the letter that he wanted to communicate, he would blink, and she would stop. And they would do this for, for minutes and hours and days on end until he formed paragraphs and, 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 and more. All the way into the point where he was able to write his memoir, which is what this, this movie was based off of. The memoir is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. You can go watch it. Um, I'm not going to because this kind of thing freaks me out. But all of a sudden, um, what, what starts to happen is you start to realize that this, this guy is, is completely incapacitated. And the only way that he can communicate, he has all of this, 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 this um, life inside. He has all this vision. He has all this, this ability to see outside. It, unfortunately, this man died two days after the book release of his memoir due to pneumonia because a, a, a person in a coma, a coma paralyzed rather, um, that has a pneumonia has no fighting chance. So he dies two days after this memoir is written and released. And the whole point that John Tyson was getting at and something that just struck me is that this is very similar to, to the way that Christ is sometimes with the church. See, this is what John Tyson had to say. He said, in some sense, we suffer from a, a form of locked-in syndrome, which is what this man had. He said, Christ, our head, full of vision, longing and passion for the world, aches to be able to express himself through a functioning body. But something seems to have happened, some, of, some sort of, of spiritual stroke. Only a portion of our potential is being realized while Jesus blinks out his vision through a fraction of his church. And I couldn't help but, like, like I'm reading this and I'm going, God, help me, to, help me to, to, to be the person sitting there interpreting what you're blinking out to your church in this season of the world that we find ourselves in. I want to be salty again. I don't know about you, is, is there anybody here that's like, I, I just want to be salty again? Because here's the thing, I am tired of just living this life that is just all about me. I'm tired of, of living a life that's just all about more knowledge that I can have. I'm tired of living this life that wonders if I'm in perfect relationship with everybody around me and whether or not I'm pleasing everybody in my circle and making sure that everybody is okay around me and forgetting that God is on mission in the world that we live in. Forgetting that there is something deeper that is groaning, that he has vision beyond me just being liked by this world, but he actually wants to reach a world with his, with his presence and with the future that he has for us. 
And so in my life, I keep asking this question to God, God, can you make me salty again? Adam Grant is, uh, is a writer, and I forget the book that he, he wrote. Uh, it's a good book, I'm sure. But I uh, follow him on Instagram. And in the middle of the pandemic, he had this, this series of posts that kind of encapsulated the way that I felt in my life at times, but also the way that um, I can sometimes see the, the state of the church that we find ourselves in. And I don't just mean our church. I just mean the state of the church. In the West, we are, we are trying to figure ourselves out as a church. In the West, we are, we are we're, we're struggling. Many churches are struggling. And, uh, and he had this series of posts where he, he contrasted the difference between flourishing and depression. And he said that for most people, um, we're kind of in this, this dichotomy, this false dichotomy where we think it's either we're depressed or in some state of depression, or we are flourishing as a people. And so he does a string of posts where he's going, listen, it, it's not just about um, whether or not you're depressed or whether or not you're flourishing. He said there's this, this middle ground where you're actually languishing. And this, this word that began to encapsulate a time period in my life when I read it is something that I want to break in my own spirit when I feel it coming on, this languishing where you're neither flourishing nor you're depressed, but you're just kind of existing. And I can't think of a worse thing to do than just exist in the spiritual realm. Because depression is this thing where people start to notice around you. They start to ask questions. They start to come around. They start to realize, wait, this person hasn't gotten out of bed in the last three weeks. We, maybe we should, we should act. A spouse is going to ask a lot, ask a lot of questions when, when their spouse is depressed. And when people are flourishing, they're great to be around. I mean, everybody loves to be around a flourishing, a flourishing person. But when it comes to this state of languishing, it can so often fly under the radar because it's just a state of being. And it's socially acceptable to be in a state of languishing because you're just, just not really bothering anybody. You're not getting me excited. You're not getting me down. But it's okay because you're tolerable. And as Adam Graham began to, began to unpack this over the course of the pandemic, I began to think in my own life that there have been so many times where I thought I was doing okay, and yet what was really happening internally is I was just languishing. And here's the thing, is that when it comes to our spirits, is that some of us, we can find ourselves in this place where we think we're doing better than what we are because physically we may, might be flourishing, mentally we might be flourishing, but spiritually is where God really wants to, wants to ask that question in our, in our lives, is, is how are we doing spiritually? And the reason why Christians can so often be um, flourishing when it comes to our, our, our mental and our physical while languishing spiritually is because the world is throwing resources at us left, right, and center every single day, every single week, and how to flourish in our physical and how to flourish in our minds, but it does not give a rip about our souls. And that's where the church comes in. We start to ask deeper questions. Are we languishing in our souls? I was texting with my brother-in-law last night, and he's a really great guy. He's a part of Slate, uh, the Slate Locals Plus in Coburg, and um, Quinn Benke. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. And we are texting, <clears throat> and we had, like, multiple streams. And you know when this thing happens in your messages where you're, like, replying to a thread, and now you have, like, five threads going, and now you're kind of annoyed. You're like, do we keep the reply to the th thread thing going, or do we start a new thing? And, and it was just getting combob uh, com uh, combobulated, or it was just, it, that word is combobulated. Um, 
it, it was just getting it was just getting a lot. And one of the main things that we were talking about is he started reading this um, this book called I Can't uh, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Does anybody know who David Goggins is? Burn the boats. Um, and if you haven't read the book, it, it it's a Passover book. There's other books you can read, but. He was talking about this idea of like winning the morning early, like winning the morning. And I think it's a great idea. And I think all of us, whether you've been in business long enough and heard the term eat the frog, win the morning, what it means is just get up and do something and do something before the rest of the day. And, and it was great. We're going back and forth. And he's talking to me about how he's running 5K every morning now. And, uh, and if you know Quinn, he's a big dude. Like 5K for a big dude, that's, that's impressive. I'm, reading, I'm running 5K every morning. And we got into all this stuff. And I'm telling him about what I'm going to do in September. And the problem is, is it didn't occur to me until later in the conversation when I said, Quinn, like, let's commit to one another that we wouldn't flourish in the physical and the mind game and everything else and yet lose our souls in the process. And Jesus has something to say about this. What is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And when it comes to this idea of languishing, we can be flourishing in all of the wrong and sometimes the right areas and yet missing out on the fact that God wants us to flourish in the spiritual. Why don't we stand up in this place and I would love for worship band to come back and um, just get ready. Why don't we stand up in this, in this place? I'm going to preach the rest of the message while you're standing. And then we're going to worship. <clears throat> Two questions I've been asking myself over the last, um, the last part of um, this year is, am I a disciple? And am I making one disciple? And those two questions borrowed from my friend Jason, who spoke here not too long ago, are questions that he asks himself every week and questions that I want to increasingly ask myself. Am I a disciple? Like, am I being discipled? And am I making a disciple? Because for some of us, we have a hard time imagining making disciples of all of Ontario. A lot of us have a hard time imagining making disciples of 100 people. But we can conceptualize what it looks like to make a disciple of one person. And that's an important exercise. Because in the process of becoming the body of Christ and the functioning body of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we actually being discipled? And am I making a disciple? And in, that, in those questions, the question comes back once again, can salt be made salty again? Like this, this is a question that unfortunately doesn't have a very satisfying answer because as I looked more into it over this past week, the truth is, is that Jesus created everything, and he knows what salt is. Salt is N-A-C-L. I forget what N-A stands for, but C-L is what, chlorine? Chloride. What's N-I? What's N-A? Sodium chloride. That's right, yeah, okay. N-A-C-L. But, like, no, you can't, like, it is a, it is a compound element. It, it is, salt is salt. And here's the interesting thing about salt that I began to learn because I'm like, God, can you make salt salty again? I think he knew this when he was encouraging his disciples, like be preserving the culture around you that's decaying. Be seasoning, bring life to this world around you that that I've put you in. One of the encouraging things is he says these things and you can just imagine the disciples, it kind of like goes by and Matthew quickly jots himself down a note to put in the Bible later, right? And he's like, can salt be made salty again? Okay, you know, I'll revisit that later when I put together my gospel. But the answer is like, no, because you can't, you can't make salt not salt. You can't make salty, salt salty again because you can't make salt not salt. 
Does that make sense? Is that, is that, salt can't not be salt. Not in the way that Jesus was talking about it. Like you could bring it into a lab and try to split apart the atoms, sure. But salt is always salt. One of the things that I learned while I was studying this past week and just kept asking this question, one of the things that, that started to, to speak to my soul is that when you are a Christian, you are, like you are by definition, preserving the world and bringing seasoning to the world, flavor to the world. And if that's not happening, one of two things are happening. You're either not a Christian or you've ceased to remember your main function here on earth. And for me, I began to realize for myself is that I just took the salt from the dinner table and I put it in the cupboard. And it's time to let it out again because salt is meant to be salt. Christians are meant to serve. Christians are meant to, meant to love their neighbors. Christians are meant to seek God in all areas of their life. Christians are meant to bring with them the presence of God into the workplaces. Christians are meant to pray for those that are lost day by day. Christians are meant to wake up and experience the beauty of God and shine that in a world that is desperately needing his beauty all around. Christians are the ones that are meant to wake up and understand that God is on the move and asking God, what are you up to today? And getting on the same train of thought and the same lane of thinking that he is on in the world that we find ourselves today. Christians are the ones that are watching for God's blinking and living out the narrative that he's speaking in the world today. Can we just all bow our heads and close our eyes in this place this morning? You know, the first question I want to ask is, is uh, <clears throat> you know, have you ever made a decision to follow Jesus? And if you haven't, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You know, the gospel is, is quite simple, actually. Sometimes we overcomplicate the gospel and we simplify people's lives. Meanwhile, like life is very complex, but God came with a very simple, very simple solution to our complex situation. Jesus died on a cross, paid a sinner's death to bring us back in relationship with our creator, our father in heaven. And all we have to do is to trust in what Jesus did on that cross. And the Bible says that we will come back into relationship with him. So if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask this simple question today. Do you want to make a decision to follow him? I'm not going to point anybody out, but with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm just going to ask if that's you this morning, can you just raise a hand and say, hey, you know what, this morning I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. And what I'm going to do is just include you as I pray in the, a prayer in just a moment. So if that's you, can you just raise a hand? Just say, hey, today I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for those that may be making that decision to follow you in this room this morning. God, we pray over them. We pray over their lives. And God, we pray that, that you would be glorified. Jesus, may your Holy Spirit come into their lives and show them what a life like a life lived with you actually looks like. Show them, God what life looks like on the other side of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. And I wanna ask another question here, um, just before we close, and we're actually gonna go back into worship, and what song do we have prepared? That was a good one, Resurrender. 
Hey, why don't we get the rest of the band up and why don't we just actually just um, get our hearts um, ready? And the question I'm just gonna ask is this is, are you hiding your salt from the world? Are you hiding your life from the world? Like we all have purpose for being on this earth. Right now, it's not just Christians and churches that are languishing. We, we have a world that is languishing, a world that is okay with the status quo, a world that is, is not sure what to make of the wars and the rumors of war, a world that is not sure what to make of the mental health crisis, a world that is not sure of what to make of, of truths that seem to oppose one another, and, and yet we are called to be salt and light in that world. And the only way that we lose our saltiness is by hiding ourselves from the world. And so before we go back into singing, can we just bow our heads in this place? And um, you know, My hope is that this moment could be a moment where we actually get real with ourselves. See, at the end of the day, I'm still that young boy that walked into a dingy basement, attended a youth group called Crave, and encountered the presence of God for the first real tangible way in my life. But I need those moments in my life more than just once and more than just at the beginning. And it's okay to have a passionate, mature relationship with God, but it's not okay to trade in your passion for maturity. If you're here today and you're just going, man, I've been languishing in my walk with God. I've been languishing, I've been holding out on this world. I've been, I've been holding back on, 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 on living this faith out amongst my friends and my neighbors and, and those who need it. I, I, haven't even, I haven't even prayed for somebody who's far from God in, in the longest time. I can't even remember. Wherever, wherever you're feeling this morning, have you been hiding your salt this morning? And you're just waking up to the reality that it is time to find yourself in the presence of God and bring that presence with you. Bring the salt out of the cupboard. If that's you, can you just raise a hand in this place? Yeah, all across this room. Can we just begin to pray wherever we find ourselves? Just in your own words to God. It can either be out loud or in your, in your mind. Just, just begin to connect with him on a level that maybe you've been missing for a long time. Just say, God, I'm here. Oh, Lord, I'm here. Jesus. Jesus, bring me, bring me into a world full, full of a need for preservation and, and for seasoning. God, bring me into a world. God, God, light my, my soul on fire again. God, encourage me once again. Come on, wherever you find yourself, just begin to pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.